Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Let's get started. Deal Quest community, this is another solo cast. And I want to talk about, uh, you know, I read uh, recently, I'm recording this in early May. Obviously, be released later, but you know, uh, one of the articles that that I read that somebody on uh, on the team pointed out to me, and I read, we try to keep up with you know the deals that are going on out there, is uh, in Forbes Business. There was an article, and many of the other publications have, have reported on it, on the the failure or the the failed merger of uh, First Horizon uh, with TD Bank. So, you know, a while back TD Bank and, and First Horizon had announced that they were going to merge. TD Bank was essentially going to you know, take over First Horizon. And just now, you know, recently, early May, they've announced that, that the deal's off. Okay. So I want to talk about, you know, a few factors specific to this, this particular, this particular deal, the impact of that merger not going forward, especially for First Horizon and, and the conditions under which, but then also, Sort of, you know, what lessons and what things it raises in terms of M and A deals in general that may more, uh, you know, impact you as a listener, or, you know, or any business that may be doing deals. So, you know, the deal was announced a while ago. I think it was it was supposed to be twenty five dollars a share was the was the was the amount of you know of the of the offer I believe, and usually and you know and I I, I didn't I wasn't able to easily check. I, I'm sure I could do some research. But usually, you know, what happens, especially in these public deals, is that the, the offer price that the public company makes for the, for the, you know, the seller is at a, is at a price per share that's higher than what it's trading at currently. You know, if there's not a premium, there's usually not a reason to, to sell. So I'm assuming that the first horizon was trading at below 25 a share when TD Bank came in and made the offer. And listen, one of the things we have to think about is what's happening in the banking space. In recent times, I mean, the original TD offer was well before Signature Bank, First Republic, and you know, and and the, I mean, Signature Valley, you know, Bank and First Republic, you know, went under and all these other issues that happened. So the whole landscape has changed, and obviously, that's bank valuations have gotten you know gone down based upon some you know concerns. Although, thankfully, it seems like there's not a huge contagion, and hopefully, the whole banking industry will will continue to be okay. But with the, you know, with the bank collapses and whatever, obviously, um, you know, there's been a pressure on share prices going down. So for a uh, bank like TD to uh, hold to an offer that they previously made uh, under different conditions, you know, is it's not surprising that they that they pulled the deal. Now, what's interesting is one of the things this article says, and I'm looking at it here, is that in its agreement, TD Bank will pay First Horizon $200 million uh, in cash and 25 million in, in, in reimbursement of fees. So it sounds like there was some breakup. So th- this is probably something called a breakup clause 
where you know once an agreement is signed, if the deal is not closed prior to closing, unless of course you know there's some issue, some breach of rep, you know, a covenant or something that came up with with First Horizon, which if it was the case, TD wouldn't be paying a breakup fee. But you know, if somebody wants to walk from the deal, there's there's a, there's a cost to it, and the reason for, for a breakup fee, especially in a public deal, is that. You know, once the deal's announced, right, there's an expectation it's going to hopefully go through. The the seller is put into play. Everybody knows that they, you know, that that, that they were looking to sell and, and did agree to a sale. There's that, da- you know, there's, there's really, it can really be damaging to them if the deal doesn't go through. So to compensate them somewhat, right, there's an agreement that the buyer will pay a breakup fee if they don't go forward. So I'm assuming that's what the $200 million in cash and $25 million in reimbursement fees so they had a you know a reimbursed costs plus they plus two hundred million. Now the interesting part is to show you how it could be really an adverse effect in these public deals. First, the Horizon's shares went down forty percent, so from fifteen to below nine is what it says. So obviously they were trading at fifteen. Now I don't know. Like I said before, I'm not sure whether they were trading before TD made the offer, and maybe maybe they were you know they were trading below 25. But obviously, it's very possible that that share price went down because of recent events as well. So so uh, you know maybe the gap between the 25 offer and what the share price is now is much bigger than it was, and that's another reason they they left. So you know so so First Horizon gets this money, but at the same time they've taken this hit on their share price. Now hopefully they can build it back up. But you know, there, there's a you know now that everybody knows that they've been in play that they thought they're going to be bought. And what happens in that case is a lot of times there's a lot of focus on the deal, and maybe there are certain business initiatives and things, and you know, innovations and growth and other things, you know, investment that they haven't made because they anticipate doing the deal, which could adversely affect their performance going forward. You know, they're going to have to sort of you know rebound. And now the reason, by the way, that was given for this not they they put out a joint statement, TD Bank and First Horizon, and the reason they gave was that they said they could not secure a timetable for regulatory approvals. But then it says though their shares had fallen well below the two to twenty five you know dollar price, as, as what I said. So you know who knows how much the that regulatory piece of it really played into it. Maybe there was a real concern on the regulation. You know, the regulators were taking too long. But, you know, my guess is if market conditions didn't change adversely, that would be less of a concern, right? Certainly if market conditions stayed strong, you know, although it's frustrating that it's taken long with the with, with the regulators, there are plenty of deals that get delayed due to, due to regulators and then, you know, go forward. So my guess is that, you know, although they said that, the change in conditions made a big, made a big difference. So, you know, I mean, listen, as you would expect, the CEO of uh, First Horizon, Brian Jordan, said that, you know, it was unfortunate and unexpected, the fact that it, that, that it didn't go through and that they're going to continue its growth path operating from a position of strength and stability. Well, hopefully for them, that's the case. You know, there are certainly deals, you know, that that are done because the seller is having some trouble. But there are many deals done with, you know, high quality sellers who could be fine on their own. They're not selling out of any desperation or because they have any need. It's just, you know, they're selling purely out of opportunity, but they can continue to do well on their own. You know, it's just that a lot of times, you know, there's a hit. Maybe there is a question in confidence when a deal fails. It's possible that maybe some key executives or other employees because of the merger, you know, might have looked for other employment if they didn't think that they were going to be 
you know, interested in coming along or have the opportunity to come along and maybe they'd be made, you know, redundant. So sometimes you lose talent, you know, and, and this is where I want to start relating it, not only to this deal, but, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, doing deal, what the implications of, of it can be for, by falling apart, because even if you're not public and everything's publicly known, if the word has gotten out, there's any been kind of announcement that your clients are aware of, or even if it's not publicly announced, but but your employees are aware that the company's in play, you have these same kind of risks. And sometimes it's harder to recover from that, even if, you know, if you're a privately held smaller company. Um, so again, sometimes employees start leaving and looking for other employment or become, or even if they haven't, they become concerned or disillusioned or worried or, you know, maybe less productive, right? Because of the distraction and maybe they are looking at other opportunities, even if they haven't found one yet. So that that sometimes happens. It can certainly happen with customers and clients. I mean, again, I don't know if if there were any of the first horizon depositors and others who, you know, if for any reason they weren't excited about merging into a bigger bank or they had maybe prior issues with TD. And I'm not saying that this is true, um, but it happens a lot of times where, you know, in anticipation of potential merger, there's there's you know some disruption. Maybe some depositors or others, you know, client customers, of the bank leave, and now they have another relationship. Or maybe now, you know, that they might be concerned about why the deal didn't go through, and maybe there are other reasons that TD isn't mentioning in the joint statement, right? That maybe you know, especially in this environment when things are shaking with other banks, maybe it makes them think, oh, maybe there's something TD found out and they're not really talking about that would would, would raise concerns. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So, you know, it's it's an interesting thing, you know, in deals. And listen, it's one of the reasons that in deals you have NDAs, you know, non-disclosures, because you try to keep it quiet. It's it's one of the reasons why many, many sellers will limit the number of employees who are aware that the deal is going forward until at least much later in the process, until at least there's a signed uh, contract. But here there was a signed deal. It just didn't close, right? So, uh, you know, there's always risk of that, uh, you know, at some point. And there are times when companies even uh, don't let their empl- many of their employees know or even their customers know until even after, you know, it, once, you know, until they get much closer out of closing as opposed to just assigning. So, you know, public deal, there are disclosure requirements. With the SEC, essentially, where you know if you if you sign a deal, you have to disclose it. But in a public, in a private company, you don't necessarily have to do that, right? There's no obligation to tell customers or clients. Now, at some point, it may be good business, it may be appropriate, right? But there's always this balance about who you need to be involved to help get the deal done or to produce the due diligence and things like that. And, you know, the risk of, right, you know, internal people whispering, speaking, office scuttlebutt, gossip, you know, that kind of stuff. It's hard to keep the word in. And especially, you know, you may not uh, most of the time don't want it to get out to your clients and customers until you're ready to announce it, position it properly so that they don't get worried 
about disruption so that they don't get maybe misinformation or a misimpression so that you don't have the opportunity. You know, you want to have that opportunity to spin it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, present it in a way that you want to do it. And if you're doing a deal, you must believe, you should believe if you're a good business person, a real business person, that it's going to be to the benefit of everybody, not only in your own pockets, but it's going to be good for the customer. It's good for the employees. And we know that's not always the case, but hopefully it is. But in any case, you know, in, in any scenario, you're going to want to try to control the messaging and the timing of the messaging. So, so, you know, so you do NDAs, you limit what, you know, who knows until they need to know, you make decisions, strategic decisions on when you, you know, disclose it. But there's always a risk if, if a deal falls apart because certain people know already, maybe where it's gotten out a little more, you know, uh, if you're getting shopped by an investment bank or in a process, so it's not just, like, let's say, a single firm that it's approached you, even though that process is confidential and there's, there are, you know, NDAs in that process, you know, if you're getting bids from four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, suitors, for example, which is, you know, not uncommon, then there are more and more people who know what's going on. And it's easier for things to slip out there. And, you know, frankly, NDAs are important. You should have them, but they're often hard to enforce, right? The word gets sort of out there. You don't know where it came from necessarily. So, yeah, so it's interesting. And, and the other thing is in private deals, there's usually not a breakup fee, right? You know, but, but then again, there's often not as much of a right to get out of the deal. But frankly, if you are a seller and your buyer backs out, you know, your option is to sue them for damages or if, depending on what your contract says, for example, if arbitration might be the dispute resolution process, you would go to arbitration. And one of the advantages, you know, there are a lot of people don't like arbitration for various reasons, but one of the advantages that arbitration can be private. Whereas if you uh, have to sue a company in court, that becomes a public record. So maybe nobody knew you were in play uh, as a potential seller prior to the deal, but if you have to sue a buyer because they, they defaulted and walked from a deal that they were obligated to close, then not only does you have, do you incur the cost of litigation and have to deal with all that and go after the uh, the the uh, the buyer, but it also has the risk of becoming you know a public and putting you in play that way. Because if you're willing to do one deal, then you're probably you know at least open to, or maybe you were looking to actively shop the company to other buyers as well. So it raises you know it raises those those risks. Now I will tell you, obviously the fall 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 majority of deals you know, actually you don't end up in this situation. I mean, I always say to clients, the deal's not closed to it's closed. And that's really true. But it is a minority of deals that don't end up going through, especially if you, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past in various episodes, especially if you, if the due diligence is done before signing an agreement. So, you know, we've said uh, sometimes you sign subject to due diligence, due diligence is done afterwards, and then there's a closing period. Well, that is much more risky in terms of having a deal not go through because the, the, the buyer, usually both sides, but it's, you know, much more so on the buyer, has an out if there's things they don't like in due diligence. So the signed contract, the asset purchase agreement, the equity purchase, stock purchase, the merger agreement, whatever it is, is not a firm agreement, really, if there's a due diligence out, because that's usually a pretty broad, right? Sometimes there are reasons to do it that way, but in terms of this risk of a deal not going through and a potential downside to a, especially to a seller, if the deal doesn't go through, you know, it's, you know, from that point of view, it's definitely better to have all due diligence done before there's a signed agreement, because then 
you know, that's out of the way, right? And there's now not a due diligence contingency, both signing. So the, so the, 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 the agreement, the purchase agreement is, you know, much more solid, more binding. It doesn't have as many contingencies. I'm obviously your, rep- your representations and warranties still have to be true. You know, they can't be things that, that, that they find out that are problematic, but if you've done a good job and been honest and work with, you know, good counsel, you're not, your reps and warranties are going to be accurate, right? You're going to schedule any issues that up front so that they're not, they don't become breaches. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the timing of delivers can, can play into that, you know, into that as a factor to try to decrease the chances of a deal not going through post signing agreement pre-closing. So, yeah, so, you know, it's always interesting to look at these public mergers and just, you know, just because it's interesting to see what the big players are doing. There are sometimes different factors, like I said, but a lot of times we can learn lessons for the private deals, which is mainly where we focus. We've, we've done some public company stuff, mainly where we're representing sellers who are selling to public companies. And it's only because public companies use huge law firms. It's just, it's just the nature of public companies on who they work with. So, we we tend to if we're involved in any deal that has you know a public entity, it's usually on the where they're on the buy side and we're on the sell side, representing the private company, selling to the public company. But more about deals that you know are between private private entities, but that doesn't mean that some of these issues uh, don't come up. So uh, you know, and, and and I would say that the public deals actually have a higher percentage of, you know, and I wonder if there's stats on this, because this is just anecdotal for me, but I, I think there's a higher percentage of those deals that may not go through because they are very public, because, you know, there the can be fluctuations in the stock market, because many times there are regulatory approvals that are needed if it's in a regulated industry, or they could be antitrust restrictions, although antitrust, has, you know, enforcement or, you know, has not been, I think, you know, in the past, there was strong antitrust, you know, review nowadays, uh, even whether it's Republican or Democratic oversight. There are some cases where, uh, you know, where, where, where it's been affected or, the, you know, they haven't approved it. Certainly you, you see it in Europe as well, where there hasn't been stuff approved for antitrust reasons or where they say they'll only approve it if you sell off certain assets. But, you know, that's even though it's not as robust of enforcement as it was maybe one time, it still comes into play, whereas that's that's really not not almost never an issue in privately held deals, certainly not smaller middle market deals. Right. Because they don't raise antitrust issues. So so there are more reasons why deals may not go through in a in a public deal. But, you know, it certainly happened. It does happen in private deals. And you got to look at the implications of that and you got to try to strategize. And we help people do this in terms of uh, minimizing those implications, not only after the fact, but upfront through strategic decisions on who are you going to reveal the deal to, timing of due diligence, not, you know, NDAs and, you know, and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's interesting to see. And, and, and you know, the other thing is obviously we mentioned, you know, what changing conditions are a prime time for, for deal, you know, for fewer deals to go through especially when they've been negotiated prior to a significant change in, in condition and then and then you know and then they're supposed to close post or maybe they're in the works and haven't even signed but you know there's been initial office LOIs you know letters of intent term sheets whatever exchanged and then somebody's got to retrade the deal not because they're a bad person but because the economic situation has changed <coughs> hang on you can cut out that cough <coughs> 
So, yeah. So listen, I would say if you are, you know, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably, you know, you, I assume you're interested in deals. If if some of those deals are M&A deals, uh, you know, I think it's always good to read about what the public, you know, what's happening in the public deals. There are some instructive lessons, you know, there. And, you know, and, and this this particular deal in a in a market where, you know, where there have been other pressures, you know, is interesting. And listen, taking a 40% hit, you know, first horizon, taking a 40% hit on their, on their stock, which, uh, you know, was, was already down at 15, which sounds like it was lower than it had been previously due to, I'm sure what's going on in the banking market. Then them to take a 40% hit off that down to nine a share since the merger was terminated, at least as of the time, you know, I was reading this and who knows by the time we launch, but maybe, you know, it'll be interesting to see where the stock is, right? Maybe they will have rebounded. But the point is that's a huge hit in value, you know, in market cap. So there are significant consequences of a deal not going through. It's one of the things you want to take into account. Obviously, if if a deal is the right thing for you to do and, and you know, you have the right buyer, you're not going to let that stop you, but you are going to mitigate, try to mitigate those things in various ways, including, like I said, you know, at least there's a breakup fee here. Now, I don't know, 200 million sounds like a lot of 225 million with a uh, reimbursement of fees. Sounds like a heck of a lot of money, but, you know, in the context of these deals, I mean, I think they mentioned here on the, I'm taking a quick look on the, on the market cap of the, but, but I'm not, yeah, well, maybe they didn't. I thought they did. Oh yeah. So here we go. So TD Bank, so the purchase price is going to be 13.4 billion with a B. So think about that. 200 million sounds like a lot of money, but in the scope of a 13.4 billion dollar deal, it's really not. So, you know, it's some consolation for the deal not going through, but maybe less than you would think. So folks, you're doing deals, try to mitigate the risk of a deal, you know, not going forward the best you can, but understand that's always going to be a risk of, of doing the deal and there'll be some consequences to it. All right, folks, until next week when we'll have a great guest interview and, and you know, four episodes from now when we'll have our next solo cast, I'll say goodbye and wish you all the best with all your deals coming up. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.